This morning, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, and the title is Evangelism in God's Service. Mark chapter 4. Here in a month or so, I'm getting ready to do a postcard mailing to the Bremen zip code to remind folks that, hey, we're here, and we love for them to join us in worship of our God. But that's a challenge. How do I tell people of our, about our church in just a few words? An image or two, a few phrases, and then about where we're located. That is a challenging job. We're making progress, but still progress to be had. I'm trying to decide, well, what are the big ideas? What do they need to know? And... I don't want to say too much because then they say less is more. A lot of times when you're communicating, if you give way too much detail, people get lost in the details. So what are the big ideas? And that's the way I feel for this morning because we're going to be covering 34 verses. That's a large amount of verses for me because I struggle discovering a few verses. It does make it a little bit easier because we're dealing with the Gospels, and the Gospels are not like the Epistles. The Epistles are very tightly woven, logically, a lot packed in. The Gospels are going to have a lot of stories and parables and transitional statements and sermons that aren't packed as tightly, so it's easier to cover more material, more verses, but still, this is going to be a lot of verses. So we're going to cover a lot of ground. I'm not going to cover everything in these verses If there's something you want to know more about, just come and talk to me and we can dig in a little bit deeper. But this morning we're going to look at the big ideas for evangelism in God's kingdom. Before we can really appreciate what is happening in these 34 verses, we need to understand parables first. And many of you, I think, already understand this, but you might need a little brushing up here. So we're going to brush up before we can get into the the teaching of the passage. So Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to start um, in verse 1. That 4 there at the beginning of the slide is supposed to be the chapter, not the verse number. So Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing 
and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As we talk about parables, we're talking about a story with a primary application. Some folks are tempted to make every little detail of a parable a way to apply something and pull meaning out of, and that is not the way parables act. And that was not the way Jesus used them. Generally, you're looking for one primary application. Occasionally, folks are willing to make a secondary application out of the parable as well. But parables are focused on one big idea. What's interesting here, what we read is Jesus was teaching there. He did not tell the people the meaning or the application of the parable. And so this leads us to further teaching of why did Jesus not tell these crowds the meaning of that parable? Because you can take, as you watch people do, and unfortunately sometimes preachers will do this, where they make, they make Isaac's, Campbell, Isaac's Campbell's the bus ministry of the church. They, make, they take and make all kinds of application to every little detail in a narrative in the scriptures that is, has nothing to do with what the passage is teaching. And so here people could take all kinds of ideas with what Jesus had just said in that parable, but he didn't tell them what he meant. So here, let's go further and learn why he did not. Mark chapter 4, verse 10. And when Jesus was alone, so he's not with the big crowds anymore. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So there must be Jesus, the twelve, and a few other disciples in their group. And they're asking him, about these parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they indeed see, but not perceive. It may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So, what we learn from those verses is there are two things happening with parables. So here, this is a later time away from the crowds. The, the, some of the disciples beyond the twelve are asking him about these parables. And here, I do not want you to miss this. This is a very helpful lesson as we think about evangelism in God's kingdom. There there is further learning for God's people through parables. And there is further darkness for those who are outside of God's kingdom through parables. So for God's children, there's further light. There's further understanding of God's teaching. 
but parables also accomplish the opposite for those outside of God's kingdom. It keeps them in further darkness. So the truth is sometimes hidden. God is sovereign over the world, and his decisions in this are unsearchable. We cannot search them out and make sense of them. I have often assumed over the years that if I make the good news, the gospel, clear enough that people will get saved. I want people to get saved. Ron prayed about that this morning. We, we want people to get saved, but we need to be clear on what the New Testament teaches. There are some people whom the truth is withheld. And the natural reactions we go into these fairness arguments or these arguments of, well, God would never do that. And we begin to try to, with our understanding, like a child arguing with their parent about something the parent truly knows better than, and the child cannot conceive of what the parent is thinking, what the parent sees. It, uh, sees. It's just beyond the child's ability to understand. And yet it's very clear to the parent who has the overview. So it is with God. Remember the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, as I've said often, Adam and Eve are the ones who made the choice to sin and run away from God. Who went after Adam and Eve? God did. So for you to understand these unsearchable things of God and his decisions, you must keep in mind that the human race was hopelessly lost before God sent after the human race and pursued the human race through his son. If God had not pursued the human race, there would be no salvation. There never would have been. So before you get on your fairness kick, let's consider that it was completely unfair that God's perfect creation made the choice to leave him, and yet he still went after them. So the starting point, and the starting point for blame is with the human race and through our corporate head, Adam. And if you want to know how the beauty of that corporate head of Adam worked in the case of Jesus Christ, study Romans chapter 5. With Adam, it seems totally unfair that because of his sin, the whole human race was plunged into sin. And yet, it was because of Jesus and his perfection and what he did for us as the second Adam that gave us, the whole human race, an option for salvation. So in Adam's case, it was negative. In Jesus Christ's case, it provided us blessing and eternal life for those who believe. Romans chapter 5, if you want to study that more. If God knew we were going to sin, then why did he create us? 
This is partly an unsolvable mystery, but some people will call it the necessary accompanying reality of evil for those who are creating God's image. We were created in His image, beautiful, wonderful, perfect, but we were not God. We had the capacity to make a wrong moral decision, and we did. But it's a beautiful thing that God was able to turn that on its head through his son Jesus and provide us salvation. That's a little bit of a side note, but it goes back to us as we're struggling with the fact that some people go further into darkness. And there's a lot of things we don't know and we do not see. Sometimes the truth is hidden. And we do not have the ability through our witness to shed the light. Understanding of the truth is sometimes guaranteed. Here, as Jesus is teaching them with these parables, he tells them, to you it has been given to know. To God's children or to those who are in the process of coming to God, a light has awakened in their heart and they're beginning to see God for who he is. They've been given the ability to see the light. And for those who are God's children already, they have a special relationship with God. They have had an enlightening. They have been given the Holy Spirit. They have been given the ability to understand God's truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about the natural man and his, his or hers inability to understand. But when the Spirit comes, we are able to understand and our eyes are opened. We are not to be haughty, prideful, but we are to be humbled. But only through God's amazing grace can we understand. And if you want to dig deeper into that, you can study Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 and get a headache. But it ends up with the worship of God at the end of chapter 11 and his amazing, mysterious, wonderful, sovereign salvation. So, Keep this in mind as you share the truth. Again, it is very easy for us to think that we can capture people and get them to be saved through our process and our presentation and how we present the gospel. But there is much more than that. When someone is saved, it is a supernatural work of God. And you should celebrate your own supernatural salvation. Your salvation is not because of your own merits. It's because of God's amazing grace. Ephesians 2 makes this clear. You were dead, spiritually dead, but God made you alive. You're saved by grace through faith. Just because you grew up hearing the truth doesn't necessarily mean you have been saved. A lot of folks play, pay lip service to the truth, but they're not truly born again. And so let's look at this context here. Jesus was teaching the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. They had the truth. They had the law. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was the light to the world. And here they are, and some of them growing up, hearing the truth, and they're going into further darkness. So don't assume because you grew up in church, 
you've heard the truth and you pay lip service to it that you're truly born again. These religious leaders that ultimately persecuted Jesus and murdered him were the religious elite. They, of all people in all the world, should have known better. It's like they were pastors, except they were even more important than pastors in that society. So, understand parables first. In Jesus' teaching, as Jesus taught himself, some people went into further darkness. Other people came further into the light. Next, rest in your role. We're talking about evangelism and God's kingdom. There is a role that you have that you need to rest in. I've had several conversations with people on the practicality of resting in their role concerning this parable. So Mark chapter 4, verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And I'll just pause there. I think that's our American church. A lot of people, as persecution arises in our country, they're going to fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word with the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. I don't want to forget something here, so I'm going to say it before I forget. Here, we saw Jesus as that sower. Jesus was teaching to people. And the, the word of truth that he was giving them, Jesus himself, that fell among four different types of soil. Not everybody that Jesus preached and taught to was saved. So let's apply that to us as we consider that we are sowers in God's kingdom and we are giving the good news. The word evangelism is the word evangel, which is the word good news. So we're good newsizing people. We're sharing the good news. That's what evangelism is. People can become concerned when someone wasn't saved from their efforts and they begin to take personal responsibility for that. And that's why I say rest in your role. You're the sower. You're not the one who is, who is to guarantee a harvest. You're the sower. 
Or what about the people that you led to the Lord, but they didn't stick with it? I've talked to Christians who were lamenting that and they felt that they were responsible. You can't guarantee the results. You're a sower. Most of the people that I have seen come to the Lord through my witness and conversations didn't stick with it. Here in this passage, there's four different types of ground, soil. So that means that if we're going to really be rigid, which we're not, but I'm just making a point, that 25% of the people that you give the good news to means that they should get saved. If we're going to talk about it that way. And that's not the point of the passage. I wish 25% of the people that, that I gave the good news to would respond and be saved and born again. Some of it has to do with where you live and the culture you live in. There are, we can look in church history and history of missions, and there have been mission fields that were ripe and ready for harvest, and there was a rich harvest for those who labored in it. Then there have been many, many other mission fields where the harvest was hard and it was hardly anything. I look at the history of countries and many people have hypothesized. As they look at the history of Great Britain, it used to be a great missionary sending nation and the cause of the gospel was shining bright there and it was vibrant there. And now you look at it and there's church, empty church buildings all across the country. And it seems like there was a rich harvest at one point, but it's begun to harden to the gospel. And it, as people have hypothesized, made theories of it, they look at America and it seems that's what's happening with America. And many people have, in their theory, said, well, the Hispanic-speaking world or the Chinese world, the Asian world, there's, there is, seems to be a brighter harvest over there now. I don't know. I'm just sharing with you that there are different reasons why the harvest could be richer at different times in different parts of the world. I've even read of there being a rich harvest even in the Islamic world. Many, many people coming to Christ under that persecution. The point here is that you are to rest in your role. You are the sower. But you need to rest in the fact that, yes, you give the good news, but you don't guarantee the response. You do not guarantee the harvest. There is a spiritual war surrounding you, a spirit world where demons and the Satan himself, you can't see it, but it is alive. And there's things going on that you don't have no clue about, except that the Bible says that they're there. So understand parables first. Rest in your role now. Don't neglect your role. Don't neglect your role. So yes, we're to rest in our role, but some people, they're not worried about their role at all. They're just not fulfilling it. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? Or under a bed, and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden 
except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With, so he's really drawing them in, dialing them in, pay attention. And then he says something. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a lot we could say here. We're going to stick to big ideas. If you want to talk more about it, I'll be glad to do that. But the big idea, we must shine the light. For those who are experiencing personal worship in their private devotions of the Lord, light shining becomes a natural thing. At least more natural. It's a whole lot easier. We do not want to lose sight of our responsibility. I think for our church, we could consider how we can focus our lives more to shine the light. And perhaps your mind immediately goes to, well, how? And that's not really my focus this morning. I think if you're in prayer about this and you want to obey the Lord and you have a right heart of worship before the Lord in your private devotions, you will begin to discern how. In years past, I've had this on my prayer list. And for whatever reason, it fell off for a while. In a month or two ago, I put it back on. Lord, show me how you want me to share the light. This is also a family conversation. Whether it's just you and your spouse, or whether it's just you and your home, Maybe it's you and some friend, Christian friends type of conversation. How can we share the light? And I would, I would challenge you to avoid productizing other people. Making them a product of how they should respond. But instead that you develop a loving, caring relationship with people. And through that, look for opportunities that are appropriate to share the good news. Some of it's going to happen automatically. They're going to see something different in you. Other times it comes up with life issues. As friends talk, you talk about how you handle life issues. And the Spirit of God can give you wisdom on how you would handle something that that person who does not have the spirit of God because they are not a Christian they don't have that wisdom but I challenge you make a spot in your life for shining the good news 
and have a confidence and have a heart before the Lord. You don't need to justify it with me. You don't need to justify it with anybody else. You're not trying to impress anybody. You need to decide in your heart how you are obeying in this matter. And you arrange your schedule where this is how I arrange my schedule so I can be obedient in this area. Pay careful attention. Jesus is extra careful here to point out that we need to pay attention to what he was getting ready to say. And here's the promise he gave. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. So pay careful attention. Here, being a hearer of what Jesus says is a characteristic of somebody who is genuinely a Christian. Somebody who hears what Jesus says and, it, and they pay attention to it and what it means and, they, and if they're struggling with how it applies, they're praying and asking for help, that's a characteristic of a true believer. A characteristic of a fake Christian is somebody who pays lip service but doesn't have anything real going on and no earnesty in their hearts. So he says, pay careful attention. And here's the promise. He says, whoops, I gave another verse here just explaining that true Christians are hearers. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and a hundred-fold. So here is the promise that Jesus gives If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. And here's the promise. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So let's not miss this promise. I just asked my wife about this. Laundry and dishes seem like an endless cycle and often without much reward. Evangelism can feel like constant work with no benefit. But Jesus says here, as he's teaching about shining our light, he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So let's apply this first to evangelism. We have a promise from God if we are diligent in obeying him in this matter of giving the good news and making sure we do it, that it will not be a waste. It will not be wasted effort. And better than that, even more than we thought, and even more effort than what we gave, more will be added to us. I don't know all the ways God plans to apply that, but Jesus was very careful to draw attention to that promise. Serving God is not a waste. So we can apply that to 
uh, obeying and giving the good news, and then we can apply that to the Christian life in general. It is never a waste to serve God. With the investment we give, the return on investment will be the same and more. So let's remind ourselves of that next time we're tempted to waste our effort and our energies on something temporal that doesn't mean anything. Are you not seeing fruitfulness in your life? Are you not seeing God use you? First of all, are you a hearer and doer of the word, which is someone who is a true Christian? Start there. Second, are you nurturing sin in your life? Yes, we struggle with sin, but we fight sin in God's power. Or we can nurture it and not really fight it. And then thirdly, are you making your service to God priority in your busy American life? Americans are busy with all the prosperity that they have. There's a promise here if you will be obedient. So understand the parables first. Rest in your role. Don't neglect your role. And then, this is similar to what we just talked about, but this has a much more important meaning here. Trust in the results of your role. And we're just going to be here briefly, but you do not want to miss this. Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And Jesus said, With what can you compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the year can make nests in its shade. So as we consider the cause that we are part of, as we consider the kingdom that we are part of and the king that we serve, we must know that God's kingdom is growing. God's kingdom is growing. What can you compare the kingdom of God to? The kingdom of God is the church in this age. And it's like a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed doesn't mean much to us outside the teaching of the New Testament. We don't plant mustard seeds around here. The idea, I think you've got it, is very, very small beginnings. But it grows and thrives and it grows and it thrives. So my friends, in all that's happening in this world today, you have probably lost sight, maybe you haven't, but I'm just banking on it that you've lost sight that God's kingdom is growing. It's flourishing. 
You are a part of something that has no end. There's no nosedive. There's no eventual falling apart. So many church ministries, so many companies in our country, they have their heyday, they have their golden age, and then they fall apart. My friends, you are a part. You have been joined by the Spirit of God. You've been baptized into God's church, into God's kingdom, and it will never end. It will be growing. It will be thriving to the end of this earth, and then for all eternity. It will flourish, and it will thrive. You are a part of something awesome. So as you look at the pains of this life, have you forgotten that you are a part of something awesome? You have organically been joined by the amazing power of the Spirit, been joined to God's kingdom. When's the last time you celebrated you're in God's kingdom? And then it's awesome. Understand parables first. Rest in your role. Don't neglect your role. Trust in the results of your role. So, just some application here. Be active in evangelism in God's kingdom. And I would add, be clear in what evangelism means. Evangelism has this huge bundle of thoughts attached to it. But at its core, again, evangelism is evangel. Evangel is the word good news in another language. And it came over as evangel and then evangelism. You're a good news, Isaac. The, the nature of good news is that it spreads. Try to keep a secret about something good that's happening. You aren't going to succeed. So it is. So you're, you're not pressed into service to something that's awkward. You have something that's naturally and organically good, and it's just emanating out of you. But you need to put yourself in a place to where it can emanate out of you instead of being unnecessarily preoccupied. Pray about how God would have you to be active. But also trust God's power to work, not your own ability. You need to throw that idea out the window. It is God's power that works. You're just the messenger. And rejoice that you're a part of a vibrant, growing kingdom. All right, my friends, spend a few minutes and respond to the Lord. Maybe you could just celebrate what God has done by putting you in his kingdom.